You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. The way we manage our trees is evolving in our cities. And in this episode, we'll be learning about what it means to shepherd urban forests in the 21st century. Our guest is John Parker, who's the Technical Director for the Arboricultural Association in the UK, and is also a Stonehouse Town Councillor. G'day John, welcome to the show. Hi Daniel, it's great to be here, thank you. So John, what is a tree? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a surprisingly complicated question really. Um, I think... A tree is the roots under the ground. It's the stem that holds up all the leaves and the canopy. It's the fruits and all that sort of thing. It's the, the bit that you see when you look directly at it. But a tree is also, it's an ecosystem in its own right. You know, a tree is the microorganisms in the soil. It's the uh, mycorrhizal associations with the fungi. Uh, you could say it's the nutrients and the water that run up and down through the tree. It's the lichen that lives on it, the fungi that grows around it. It's the birds and the animals that live in it and depend on it. And uh, it's kind of the, the people who operate around it as well, I suppose. So a tree is a, a complicated thing, but let's say it's, a, it's an ecosystem in its own right. Right. So it doesn't exist on its own at all? No, it doesn't really exist in its own, I don't think. Certainly in a, in a woodland or a forest situation, you can have you know, literal connections under the ground. The roots may well have fused together. Um, things that look like woodlands might actually be one tree that's grown up from the ground in, in several different points, but is all connected. But even in an urban environment, a tree can't just exist totally on its own, even where it's been stripped out of its sort of natural habitat and stuck next to a, a busy street. It's still got to have some kind of connection with the ground. It's still going to have some kind of associations with flora and fauna around it. So, no, I don't think a tree ever really exists purely alone. And how does our modern understanding of the benefits of trees compare with sort of how we used to perceive them in the past? Trees have long been appreciated by people as being something that's attractive something that's nice to look at you know it's uh, green and it's fluffy and it's it sits there looking nice and that's great and that is really important it's an important way of hooking people into the importance of trees but there's a lot more to it than that and if you just perceive something as as being a, a nice to have you know a luxury item then that's when you if you run into economic difficulties for example uh, that's the thing that the government's going to cut. That's the thing the local gov- local authority is going to cut the budget itself because it's not seen as being really, really important. But trees are really important, far beyond amenity. We know that trees deliver social, environmental and economic benefits. Uh, collectively, they're sometimes called ecosystem services. There's ways of putting valuations on those ecosystem services. You can demonstrate to your city or municipality that the value in, in pounds and pence or dollars and cents to what these trees are actually delivering. I think there's some risks associated with putting too much of a monetary value on trees, but that's probably a, a, a bigger conversation for another day. But now I think the way we're viewing trees is that they're critical infrastructure. They're not just something that's nice to have. They're as important in an urban environment as roads and pavements and buildings and streetlights and traffic signals. Absolutely. I couldn't agree anymore. So I guess like what you're saying is it's not just about property prices. It's not just about the cost of growing a tree. The tree has intrinsic value on its own and it provides the sorts of benefits that can't be replicated by things that are not trees. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It, it, a tree is a multifunctional infrastructure. You know, most things we put in our urban environments uh, sort of do one thing. You know, lampposts are really, really important. They 
they lighten things up when it's dark, but that's kind of all they do. Maybe maybe you can hang a sign on them as well. At street signs or road signs or traffic lights, they tend to do one thing. Trees do loads and loads and loads of things all at the same time. They're also the only asset that we put in the ground, which actually increases in value from the day you put it in the ground. Everything else we we install starts depreciating from the day of installation. Trees only increase in value and can go on doing that for hundreds of years with relatively little maintenance. I mean, trees are really the a, the wonder infrastructure for, for the city and they should be appreciated uh, as such. And the people who manage those trees, people who look after those trees should probably be respected a little bit more than they are as the people responsible for keeping these incredible machines running. Absolutely. There's so much training expertise and just absolute dedication that goes into that sort of work. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit later on in the episode, but can you tell me what urban forestry is? Urban forestry possibly means slightly different things to different people, depending on where you are in the world, I've discovered. But I suppose the urban forest can be defined as all of the trees within a given sort of boundary. So for example, here in Stonehouse, you could draw a line around the outside of Stonehouse and say that's your boundary of the town. Every single tree within that boundary is part of the urban forest, regardless of whether it's a public tree or a private tree, or it's in a park, or a graveyard, or a housing estate, or a back garden. They all form part of the urban forest. Uh, you could make the case that all of the other green infrastructure also forms part of the urban forest, so the grass and the, you know, the vegetation, the flowers, and all that sort of thing. Too. So that's your urban forest. So urban forestry really is the management of that green space, the management of that urban forest for the benefit really of society. Yeah. I mean, as humans, we like to separate, you know, nature and not nature, but really nature doesn't really distinguish what is a city and what is a forest. No, nature doesn't really distinguish boundaries in the same way as we do. And the, that breakdown in the relationship between people and the natural world is, is, I think, probably behind a lot of the problems that we face in our times at the moment. A lot of you know, children don't know where their food comes from, or people rarely get out there into the countryside. And it's interesting when you're a tree manager, the complaints you get, people complain about leaves falling off trees and people complain about <laughs> birds sitting in the trees making a noise. And you think, well, you're, you're complaining about the most natural processes there are. You know, this is street trees and urban trees are the link between people and uh, the city and then the outside world. And I think it's also worth mentioning a, a sort of a, to paraphrase uh, a chap called Rob Northrop, who's um, a good friend of mine and he works out in Florida. And he really hates the idea of the word nature because it suggests that there's some separation between people and humanity and nature. And he sort of says, well, yeah, we're all part of nature. We can't take ourselves outside of nature because we are essentially animals and we are part of the natural order. So there shouldn't even be that division between people and the natural world. But it's something we've become accustomed to, I think. Oh, I absolutely agree. Can you tell us a little bit about how COVID-19 has highlighted the importance of green spaces in our cities? Yeah, Again, I think this is experience has been felt all over the world to, to, to a greater or lesser degree, but certainly there's been a lot of countries here in the UK, there's been restrictions on movement uh, or, or lockdown, whatever you want to call it, uh, for a few weeks of this year. And what that's mean for a lot of people is that they're stuck inside or they're at least confined to the immediate area around them. And what it's really highlighted, I think, is some of the inequalities in society without trying to get 
uh, too political. You know, if you've got if you've got a huge garden out the back of your house, then maybe lockdown isn't quite so painful because you've got loads of space to move around and do stuff in. If you don't have any form of green space that you own, then what's very important to you is those public green spaces that are around you, whether you've got a park close to you, if you've got somewhere you can go and walk and sit or play with your children or ride your bike, that becomes ever more important. And it's not just about parks and open green spaces, it's also about street trees. And for a lot of people, if you're stuck inside, if you're locked down, you can't leave the house, your garden essentially may be that street tree that you can see through your window. So in some ways, I think the, the COVID crisis has been almost quite good for arboriculture in a way, uh, he says slightly hesitantly, but I think <laughs> it's made a lot of people respect and appreciate the uh, greenery on their doorstep more than, more than they did before. Absolutely. I'm in Melbourne and we had eight weeks of lockdown and I actually live in an apartment in St Kilda with my wife. And we're really lucky that we live in Melbourne because Melbourne has some of the best parks I've ever seen around the world. And we were just able to go for an hour walk every day and it was just beautiful. I got to see parks I've never seen around my neighborhood before and there's no value that you can place on that. And you said before that people complain about the birds. Yeah, yeah. People, uh, obviously, pe- people are wonderful. But they do find some strange things to complain about. The, you know, we we've known in arboriculture and urban forestry for a long time. Um, thanks to a lot of research that's been done by many, many people, that there's a very clear and proven link between human health and trees, between physical health and mental well-being. Uh, being around trees makes you feel better about yourself. It's you know, this is a really good thing to have. And I think a lot more people have probably realized that during the COVID crisis. But I would say, I mean, I've never been to Melbourne, but I can certainly say here in the UK, there are places where people don't have those parks nearby to them, like you've mentioned. I'm sure there's parts of Melbourne that don't have parks so close people could just walk to them and and roam around and, and do that. And this is what we really need to start thinking about now as a challenge for arboriculture and urban forestry in the 21st century is ensuring that everybody has fair and equal access to high quality green space wherever they are, whatever their socioeconomic background. So I guess we're talking about the term green iniquity now, aren't we? Yes. Yes, exactly that. So can you tell me a little bit about the benefits of trees as compared to some of the other plants in the urban forest, like shrubs and, you know, sort of smaller annual flowering plants and things like that? Well, all green infrastructure and all elements of the urban forest, whether it's trees or shrubs or plants, they all do bring benefits to sort of greater or lesser degree. And it's uh, it's not that one is sort of, I guess, more important than the other. I suppose the most obvious response to that question is that trees tend to be bigger. You know, trees tend to be bigger organisms with woody stems. Uh, and if you've got a, a mature tree, uh, you know, 100, 200 years old, not that it's based on a uh, chronological years necessarily but if you've got a big tree with a big canopy that is going to be delivering loads and loads of benefits a lot of the benefits we associate with trees are positively correlated to canopy size the bigger the canopy the greater the benefit so in terms of maybe air quality or carbon sequestration you might say that a big tree is going to be doing more uh, of all that stuff than a small shrub or a flower for example but then that's not to say one is more important than the other. Some uh, flowers or maybe an area of wildflower might be better for biodiversity, for example, or habitat or pollinators than a large tree. It all depends on the species, the location, the quality, the maintenance. There's lots of considerations, but it's, it's all important. It all forms part of our green infrastructure. And as I've said, green infrastructure is a critical infrastructure, just as important as the grey or the blue infrastructure in our towns and cities. 
So I guess maybe it's more about the amount of photosynthesis that it's doing, the amount of sort of filtering of that carbon and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, just because it has a larger canopy. Yeah, that's part of it. But it's, it's, a, it's always a mistake to focus too much on one benefit. So if you're just thinking about, for example, trees that create shade, if you just think, right, shade is the thing that trees are going to do here, mm. then you might plant loads and loads of big canopy trees that are going to grow quite quickly, <laughs> cast a big shadow, uh, cool things down um, through evapotranspiration. You think, right, great, we've done it. That's the urban forest sorted. But actually, maybe those big trees don't produce any fruit, or maybe they're not good for pollinators, or maybe there's no cultural heritage with them. So actually you think, well, we want to get trees that, that reflect those different things. So you need to have a, a really healthy, diverse, mixed urban forest, large stuff, small stuff, all different shapes and sizes. There's, there's room for all of it because, as I said, trees are multifunctional infrastructure. They do a lot of things, but sometimes in, in quite small ways. You know, it's, a, it's collectively one tree may only uh, intercept a relatively small amount of uh, rainwater, for example. But when you scale it up across the whole urban forest, that's a, a really big impact that's going to have on people's lives. So it's sometimes better to look at the whole urban forest than just the individual tree. Hmm. It kind of reminds me of some people sometimes say like, oh, get rid of your lawn, you know, plant flowers. And I sort of think like, yeah, but grass roots are great. Like all the action of grass is happening underneath the ground, you know? Yeah. So don't get rid of grass. Carbon <laughs> as well is really important. Mm, absolutely. So let's go back to trees again. Can you tell me a little bit about what is an arborist and what training is necessary to become an arborist? So an arborist really is uh, anyone who works with trees, I suppose. In the UK, if we talk about an arborist, we're typically talking about what might be called a tree surgeon as well. So actually the, the people who go out there uh, climbing the trees and uh, doing the pruning and, and that sort of side of it, the, the contractor side, the practical side, as opposed to the consultants or the tree officers or, or me sitting at my desk. So that's typically what we would say an arborist is. One of the problems we've got in the UK, and I think this is an issue around the world as well, is that it's, it's, an, it's an unregulated industry. So anybody can go out there, down the shop, buy themselves a chainsaw, and then say, I'm now an arborist. And they can go off and they can make a living as an arborist. And they may well be the best arborist in the world. But if they haven't got any training or any qualifications, they're probably not the best arborist in the world. It's uh, you can use the example of a doctor. You can't just go to the shop, buy a stethoscope and say, I'm a doctor now and go off and start healing people. You're not allowed to do that. Uh, I've, I've tried and they're very, very clear that you're not allowed to do that. So why do we keep tolerating this for arboriculture, I suppose? So that's one issue. In terms of the training that's necessary, there's lots of training out there, but chainsaw licenses, chipper licenses, all the different tools and equipment you should be able to need. Uh, you should really learn how to climb safely in accordance with best practice, obviously all the first aid stuff as well and then as you uh, look at other parts of the industry you, you might want to get qualifications like a technical certificates national diplomas degrees masters um tree inspection courses there's loads of qualifications out there depending on which area of arboriculture you uh, you want to move into and is there any kind of an international code for uh you know arboriculture in terms of training and an assessment yeah, I can't remember what it's called, but I've heard others talk about an international standard. I'm not sure if it's formalised or not. Well, there's the International Society for Arboriculture, the ISA. They run accreditation programmes and training and are very well respected internationally. There's also in Europe, the uh, European Arboricultural Council. Uh, they run uh, certification schemes for 
tree climbers and tree technicians in the UK, because we don't always like to do things that other people are doing. Um, we've got our own system of uh, <laughs> systems. I think it varies around the world, but the important thing really is that, that there should be a standard which says this is how you do things properly and this is how you do things safely and that you can hold people against that standard and you can hold them mm. to a certain benchmark that has been nationally or internationally set because that's safer for people and it's also better for the trees. Mm. Yeah, and when we're talking about trees, we're sort of talking about multi-generational benefits here you know you don't plant a tree and expect to receive all the benefits tomorrow no you certainly don't i think you've got to be slightly strange sometimes <laughs> to work in arboriculture <laughs> it attracts some kind of weird people I, I can say that about all of my colleagues around the world um <laughs> we're, we're doing something i think naturally humans like to see a sort of quick return you know you like to do something and you get a result from it and you go that feels good you know that's 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 what i was setting out to do um, but we really do things that we know we're not going to see the full benefits of. And that's quite a strange mindset to have. Um, and when you're talking to people about, well, you know, it might look a bit rough now, but it's going to look amazing in 100 years. Mm. That's a difficult thing <laughs> to, people, to people to get their head around. And fantastic British uh, arboriculturalist, uh, Ted Green, he's always telling me to, to think in tree time. Don't rush it, John. Think in tree time. You know, you've got to look at things. We work on a different time scale, I think, in our boriculture. Mm. And that's a problem for us because we are working with organisms that may have been there for 100 years before we were born. We look after them for a, a couple of years or maybe we, we go and visit them and prune them once or we write a report on them once. And then we leave and don't go back. But that tree is going to be there for another 100 or 200 years afterwards. And it's kind of weird to work with organisms that are that long lived. But also, we have to operate, we're forced to operate into an artificial human timescale of political cycles. So people, you know, these promises about tree planting and we're going to plant a million trees or a hundred million trees, that they're politically driven targets. They're not looking, they're not thinking in tree time, they're thinking in electoral time. And we right. have to do things looking for the future and looking for future generations. And there's that, that great old uh, Greek quote, I think it is, about a society grows great when old people plant trees in the shade of which they know they will not sit. And I think that in many ways sums up arboriculture and, and urban forestry. Mm, absolutely. And when you're talking about these sorts of long time frames, what's the difference between planting a tree compared with establishing one? Well, people talking about tree planting is all the rage at the moment. And, and it's great because tree planting is really important. And we obviously like people talking about tree planting. I think it's a bit unfortunate that trees have been sort of pushed forward as the solution to climate change. And if we can just plant billions of trees and we've saved the planet, it feels like that lets people off the hook a little bit for not having to make other changes in their lives that are probably required. But it's good that people are talking about tree planting. But that's the only bit they ever talk about. And there's a lot more to it than that. The, the act of planting itself is pretty simple. You, you, you know, you stick a tree in the ground and it's you know it's it's quite a it's a difficult thing to do. Don't get me wrong; it's a specialism in its own right. But you're basically putting something in a hole in the ground is what you're doing, <laughs> and it can take half an hour, an hour. It's quite a quick thing to do. But before that point, it may have taken seven, to eight years for that tree to have been produced in the nursery from a seed or a cutting or however it's been produced, carefully looked after in the nursery, imported from somewhere maybe, maybe grown in the country and transported. Someone's got to have picked a, a planting site for it. Someone's got to have selected the species. Someone's got to have designed a pit maybe or worked out exactly where it's going to go. 
Then you plant it in the ground. Then you've probably got three years worth of young tree maintenance when you're looking at watering that tree, formative pruning, putting down mulch, sorting out stake and ties. You've got to really take it through those important first few years. And then after that, depending on what kind of tree you've planted, you might have 50, 100, 200 years of of inspections and maintenance. So Mm. a tree, looking after a tree is, is a job that kind of takes a couple of hundred years. And at the moment, all people really seem to be talking about is planting, the act of sticking that tree in the ground. And what we're trying to say to people really here at the Arboricultural Cultural Association is there's no point planting millions of trees if they're all going to die. It's better to plant a dozen trees well and look after them and have them grow on and establish and, and deliver all these wonderful ecosystem services in the future than it is to plant 10,000 trees that are, are all going to just fail because they're not being looked after properly. So it's trying to get people to think slightly differently about tree planting. But one of the challenges there is that tree maintenance isn't very sexy. You know, no, no, <laughs> poli- no politician is going to get elected by promising to properly maintain and mulch a million trees next year. That's not going to get you elected. What gets you elected is saying, I'm going to plant a million trees. And people yeah. go, woo. And it's important. It's great. But it's like it's all to do with this tree time again, I suppose. It's we, we can't just you can't just stick a tree in the ground and walk away and think that's your bit done. It's not. That's the beginning. In fact, it's not even yeah. the beginning. Yeah. Sort of get, like getting stuck on step one. But what does it mean to plant the right tree in the right place? The right tree in the right place is, I guess it's kind of as it sounds on the tin in a way. It's, it's trying to make sure that you, you, you've picked the right location for what you want to plant and then you've um, you've selected a species that fits that location so it's a nice it's a nice phrase and it's completely right and we try and live by it but i think it's probably a bit overused sometimes uh, there's more to it than that so what started happening in the last couple of years is people are almost adding adding extra bits to the end so i've heard um the right tree in the right place for the right reason for example, and I think that's important. Ah, Why yep. there? Are you trying to are you trying to create shade? Are you trying to create uh, you know a food for people or for animals? Are you trying to intercept rainfall? Because that will depend on you know what you're trying to achieve will influence what you're selecting. So I think that's very good. The one that we try and use quite a lot of the Arb Association is planting the right tree in the right place with the right aftercare. And that goes back to what I've just been saying about the maintenance. Yep. It doesn't matter what you plant or where you plant it, unless you look after it after it's gone in, it's going to die. So mm. that is something very important to think about too. And then you've got to think really about who's making those decisions because this is where we try and promote the importance of arboriculture as a profession and as arborists and urban foresters and arboriculturalists. Uh, they're the you know, who is in a right who is. Who has got the knowledge and the experience to say that that is the right tree, that is the right place, that is the right reason, and that is the right aftercare? Well, though it's not enough just to think about it, the people making those decisions really should be, if not qualified, trained professionals and at least experienced people who know what they're doing. And that's how you plan a city for the future. Exactly. Yeah, you. That is exactly how you plan a city for the future. And it's not enough, you know, sometimes people want to bring in enormous trees that have this instant impact. And that's kind of not how trees work. You've got to you've sort of start small, start from a seed and, and work your way up from there. Mm, totally. So do you have any advice for our listeners when it comes to sort of, you know, whether it's planting their own trees or looking after their trees? And they're just not trained professionals, but they have trees and they want to look after them. 
you need to approach all these things carefully. So I think the first thing I say is, you know, that the health and safety side of things. And sorry to, to sound like a killjoy, but a lot of people get badly hurt when they're trying to prune trees. You know, chainsaws are really dangerous. I hate chainsaws. They're really dangerous things and they should only really be used by people who know how to use them. So I would say if, if there's any risk at all, consider calling in a professional because that's what they're, they're paid for and trained to do read up about stuff, learn about stuff. There's loads on the internet now. There'll be loads of organizations uh, in Australia. I know um, uh, Arboriculture Australia has got loads of stuff. We've got uh, trees.org.uk, which is the our Arboricultural Association website. There's lots and lots of information there for, for tree owners and homeowners or people who are interested in trees or want to do some work. In I don't know what exactly the equivalent is in Australia. I think it might be the same. But here I always tell people to contact their local tree officer. Tree officers are brilliant people. They work in local government, local authority. They're the custodians of the urban trees, and they're a great starting point for people who want to find out more about what kind of tree they should plant or whether or not they can or should cut their tree down or prune it or who might be a good contractor to go and contact. Tree officers are a really good, valuable source of information. So talk to a professional read up online as well. And um, yeah, in, you know, enjoy it. That's the main tip for your trees. Yeah, the father of modern arboriculture, Alex Shigo, his book was, was uh, touch trees. And that's what we should all go and do touch trees. So what does the future hold for urban forestry in the UK and around the world, John? Well, what does the future hold? Always, a, always a tricky one to try and predict. I, I'm hoping that there is more awareness of trees and urban forestry now than there was before, partly because so much work has been done by many wonderful people in terms of research and dissemination of information to explain why trees are critical infrastructure and why they're so important, and also partly because of the, the COVID crisis and, and a new appreciation that many people have for trees and green space. So I'm hoping that's raising public awareness. I'm hoping that's then going to tap into the, the political awareness, and we're seeing that. We're seeing that in the, the manifesto promises to plant tens of millions of trees every year. So it is starting to get through. In the UK, there's certainly more policy noises than we've had in previous years. The government is listening to the fact that people are saying that trees are important. But I think it's trying to get it right and maybe converting that to people appreciating that it's not just about planting, as I say. You know, that it's, it's not just that bit. So I'm hoping the future is people understanding that it's not just about planting, there's more to it than that. I'm hoping that people start recognising that it's not just trees that are important, it's about the people who look after the trees as well. Because if you care about trees, you really need to care about tree professionals too. These aren't things that just happen by themselves uh, in urban areas, particularly. Obviously, trees are very adept at happening by themselves in other places. But in urban areas, the trees don't just uh, do it all alone. They are looked after by people, whether that's the person who spec them for planting, the tree officer who, maintain, who manages them, the tree surgeon who goes and prunes them, the consultant who, who writes uh, the specifications for them, you know, the nursery that produced it. There's a whole range of arboricultural professionals out there who I don't think at the moment really get the recognition they deserve. So I hope the future involves people appreciating arboriculture as a science and a specialist discipline that uh, is essential if people want to have healthy communities and uh, healthy cities. Mm. Maybe we could start thinking in tree time rather than human time. Quite right too. We should all think in tree time. Absolutely. 
You're currently leading a new project called the Stonehouse Community Arboretum. Can you explain what's involved with that? Yeah, so in Stonehouse, we, uh, we're in a very beautiful part of the UK. We're in the Cotswolds down in Gloucestershire, which I think everyone agrees is the finest county in Britain. <laughs> <laughs> and um, according, to, according to, I've never been to England, but is that, is that what people really say or is that what you say? That's what I say. That's what I say. <laughs> no, it, it, is, it is undoubtedly a beautiful area. Um, and yeah, the Cotswolds is a sort of area of outstanding natural beauty. And uh, we're a, a town here in Stonehouse, uh, about eight and a half thousand people. So we're surrounded by rural you know, countryside, but it's an urban area where we are. And we have got a very supportive town council and some really keen community groups and some great stakeholders who are all interested in, in trees and are keen to see us approach our tree management in a slightly different way to other people, perhaps. So the Stonehouse Community Arboretum is an attempt to make an arboretum. There's not a conventional arboretum. There's no walls. There's no gates. There's no tickets. This is an arboretum that is made up of all of the trees in public spaces, on the streets, in people's gardens, across the whole of Stonehouse. Uh, we're going to be mapping them. We're going to be uh, maybe sort of labeling some of them. We're going to be trying to make this a resource, planting and establishing many, many different species of trees, but in sustainable, responsible ways. So we're trying to sort of live uh, all the things that I've just been preaching. So last year we planted, I think, 15 trees. This year I think we're planting another 15. So it's pretty small numbers. It's not headline-grabbing numbers, but we're trying mm. to do them properly. We're sourcing these mm. trees from good nurseries with good biosecurity policies. We're only planting what we can afford to buy. We're only planting what we can afford to maintain. We are involving the community at every stage of the way. We're leading things like tree walks and doing tree presentations to try and engage people with their trees and, and bring the community and the trees together. We're working with the local schools, the Arboriculture Association. This is where we're based in Stonehouse. We're very proud to be based in this part of the world. We want to more, work more closely with the community too. So it's really showing how different stakeholders in the public and the private sector and mainly the community can work together with trees, learning best practice from all over the world to create something very special it's not only a source of local pride and hopefully local tourism. We're thinking in tree time, 50, 100 years. I like to think that people might come to Stonehouse just to see the trees, but also that we'll be bringing these social, environmental and economic benefits to the people of Stonehouse. Mm, totally. And do you think that you'll be providing a model that the rest of the world can sort of look to for maybe a bit of a model, I guess? I'm hoping so. I think that, you know, I could list you all the different things that we've been doing and you could find examples of where other places in the world are doing pretty much all of those things. I don't think anything we're doing is particularly new and original. You know, we're, we're doing things like you know, we've written a tree strategy. We're now doing tree surveys. We're engaging the community in tree planting. We're making sure we do proper young tree maintenance. None of these things are kind of, you know, massively groundbreaking, but we're pulling it all together in a, like I say, in this particular way, and we're focused on this community arboretum. I think that maybe is quite unusual. But again, there's places, you know, the borough of Hackney in uh, in London is has been leading the way in terms of planting unusual species for many, many years. They've essentially got an arboretum on the streets as it is. So we're not trying to claim it, claim anything, you know, groundbreaking. But it's a project that I'm hoping will inspire some other towns that don't approach things in the same way. And uh, hopefully, yeah, may, may, may provide a model for others elsewhere going forward, definitely. 
Mm, that's great. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about? Yeah, anything else I want your listeners to know about? Uh, well, I should, this is an opportunity to plug stuff, isn't it, really? And I haven't particularly, I haven't thought that through too well. <laughs> <laughs> anything else I'd like listeners to know about? One of the main opportunities that's come up for us during this COVID crisis has been connecting more effectively with people in other parts of the world. And, you know, when uh, the lockdown hit and we had to cancel basically all of our events and all the normal things we did, we moved online quite quickly and we started a, a webinar series online. We pretty much do one webinar every week and uh, they're all available on, on our website at trees.org.uk. But what that triggered was the, a real global conversation. We've we've had, I think, more than 90 countries have watched uh, our webinars live with us. Mm. We frequently get people from every continent watching the webinars at the same time and talking to each other about trees, talking about urban forestry. And it's really been fantastic to see that global conversation develop. So I suppose maybe what I'd say to your listeners or what I'd talk about as, a, as not even a project, but it's it's good to share ideas globally. It's good to work together internationally. It's all about collaboration. Just having been invited to, to do this is amazing. You know, this is a great example of working together at, at opposite ends of the world. And I think we should use COVID as an opportunity maybe to refocus some of our priorities, to maybe appreciate trees a little bit more, to appreciate the technology we've got, which means that we can have this conversation and that we can run these webinars bringing people together who wouldn't ordinarily speak to each other and giving a platform to people who wouldn't ordinarily have one. And I think that is something that we should all be thinking about and seeking ways to, to, to work together more. And of course, we should all be thinking in tree time. Well, my wife and I would actually like to have our future children be able to live in a world with plenty of trees and connections. So I really love that message, John. Well, that, absolutely. There's there's no better thing you can do for future generations than planting a tree, really. Planting a tree when the world is in the state it's in at the moment is a real statement of hope as well. And I think we, we could all do with a little bit of hope. Totally. Maybe we could change that to establish a tree, though. Yeah. <laughs> Plant it and then look after it. <laughs> John, thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope our listeners have learned a lot about urban forestry and maybe some of the older-fashioned ways of thinking can sort of maybe be left in the past because we're thinking about urban management of trees in a very different way these days, aren't we? We are. Yeah, we are. Arboriculture, urban forestry, they're quite new disciplines. We're learning all the time and we've got to keep looking to the future and that's uh, that's what we're trying to do. Thanks, John. Much appreciated, mate. Thank you very much. It's been great to chat to you. Thanks, Daniel. No worries. You can do your part to help the urban forest by keeping old growth trees on your property where possible and establishing new plants as John has pointed out. As always, check the show notes for relevant clickable links, including some educational resources available through the Arboricultural Association. If you're new to podcasts, the easiest way to find the clickable show notes is to go to the podcast page from plantsgrowhere.com, select this episode, hover over the player and click the lowercase i icon. Stay tuned because next week we'll be diving deep into irrigation with Andrew Webb from Reese Plumbing.